Welcome to Tech Live. Stephanie Christopher here, CEO of the Executive Connection. We connect leaders with a trusted network of people who help them succeed. Our guest today is Jens Gernerman, Managing Director of the Advanced Manufacturing Growth Centre, AMGC. As the organization's first managing director in 2016, his primary focus was to enable the center to achieve a strong position in the manufacturing industry and the broader business community by putting manufacturing back on the map. Jens has an impressive background before coming to AMGC as the managing director of Airbus Group Australia Pacific and Airbus Helicopters And before relocating to Australia, Jens spent six years in Germany with the former European Aeronautic Defence and Space Company, today known as Airbus Group. He was head of the CEO's office in Germany and before that in charge of soldier and parafoil systems within the Defence Division. Previously, Jens spent two years in Athens where he established and managed the Eurofighter office of Daimler Chrysler Aerospace one of the three founding partner companies of EADS. He began his career with Daimler-Benz in AG in January 1996. And by the way, Jens is also a triple Australian skydiving champion and was among 214 German skydivers who leapt into history in 18,000 feet above the Arizona desert to break a world record that still stands. Jens Gernerman, welcome to Tech Live. Hi there. So it's good to have you here. And I know any conversation with you is somewhat like jumping out of an aeroplane without a parachute. So I think we should talk now about your skydiving world record to start with. What made you jump out of a plane 18,000 feet above the Arizona desert? Well, jumping without a parachute allows you to make one jump only. And uh, I have done a couple of thousand jumps so i strongly advise to take a parachute (laughs) and uh, also have a reserve parachute because i had to use it seven times in my skydiving career the idea of bringing um, over 200 people together and fly a formation in a predefined shape um, is quite a feat because the record was standing at 201 Uh and um, the complexity increases uh, disproportionately when you get larger with your formation so we made it and that's great. So do you practice it or you just do it for the record? No, you practice it. Um, it took us six days and on day number six or the first jump of the day, usually did three or four jumps a day, uh, we, we nailed the record. And um, because it's uh, quite complex, um, there have been larger formations flown by a world team, but never by a single nation. And that German skydiving community could do that is uh, certainly something which, uh, which is something to show for. And so we could see this on YouTube? Yeah, yeah, you can. Um, We can uh, put it. uh, Put it with the podcast, the link with the podcast. Absolutely. Okay, so quite a career for you with Airbus, sort of through that whole journey. What was the link between that and AMGC? The ability to make complex things, which is also called manufacturing, Mm -hmm is something what has fascinated me all my career. I'm not an engineer, I'm an economist for my sins, uh, but I had always an affinition to make complex things and um, countries which can do that um, are usually the ones who are 
very successful on the global stage. Yeah. They offer better jobs for their people. They have a higher income level. And um, they are able to address domestic issues in a more capable way. So you're originally from Germany, which is known as a very strong manufacturing country. Where does Australia sit and where could it be? Um, Germany has run out of commodities a long time ago and um, knew many, many decades before that happened that it would be eventually. And uh, therefore, making complex things, manufacturing, has a long tradition and was also not only the lifeline but the way forward for the country. And how did they do that? How did they make that shift then when they ran out of commodities? It is in general very difficult to say something worked in one country and we just need to copy and paste it. Every country needs to find uh, their own way. I like to think that the education system and um, the um, emphasis on vocational training Mm. versus we have to send our kids to university no matter what. And it doesn't matter what they do, at least it's university. Yes, exactly. Um, And the idea of companies taking charge of the next generation of their stuff rather than outsourcing and pointing to universities or to TAFE. That is deeply wired for centuries. In in fact, from the outgoing medieval times when um, trades in old European countries emerged, it was in the hands of the master tradespeople to educate Mm. their own folks. Mm. Nobody else could do that. It was a competitive advantage. And we have done that for 500 years that way, meaning the education system, the so-called dual system, the combination of a theoretical education in a class with other apprentices together Mm. and the other half of the education happening in a company that is deeply wired. And Mm. that's why you would see a difference when you have a final assembly line, let's say, for automotives, Mm. in Germany or in another country where you just implemented. I think that's so interesting. I actually happened to be with a group of your members the other day and such a common theme was education in Australia. And they were saying exactly what you're talking about, Jens, that people were coming from university with no fundamental skills and then they were bringing them into their organisations and they just had to train them from scratch. That's a problem for every university student. Yeah. And it's up to the students whether she or he um, embraces them himself into companies during the education or before the university mm. education mm. and find a good mix between theoretical and practical application. Um, but in general, I find university education is not university education. Our university education, our university sector is being highly regarded and highly praised and uh, has solid rankings in global comparison because it is a product of export. This way we can attract foreign students um, and sell that. But it disregards the ability to educate for the advancement of our own country. We are Mm. basically raising the competitors the future. Yeah, it's interesting. Nothing wrong with that, no. but it should not be the only 
type of education we do. And education, especially for the application in companies, needs to come from the company leadership. So when you've said that Germany, it's hardwired, that whole idea of of trade or you're being educated from the beginning with a purpose towards a capability end, we've touched on education. What shifts does Australia need to make to be truly competitive? I would want to see the universities being involved to be part of the solution rather mm. than having a system like we have in Germany where we have specific trade schools and universities. Yeah, I think we're too small. Yeah. And as I said earlier, we need to find a solution uh, adaptable for each country. Mm -hmm. I would advocate, for example, let's say you get, you need 10 credits to be a bachelor. Why wouldn't you allow the universities to be part of the theoretical education of an apprentice? Yeah. And you do that for three, three and a half years and you end up as an apprentice with five credits. Mm -hmm. And the other time you spend in companies and start being part of their team and understanding the uh, art of the skill. Mm. So with five credits and a lot of experience already under your belt, um, you strive in that company, spend a couple of years. But if you then ever want to go back to the university and want to make a bachelor, you already have five points mm. on credits in your bag. Maybe another one um, of recognition of your theoretical education. It means you need only four or five more credits in your bachelor. So it's not a one-way street. Yeah. It is a street which goes both ways. You can change the lanes and you can make universities part of the solution. Right, so it's really transforming. It's called a dual system in Germany. And uh -huh. um, again, as my Australian wife always wants me to just stop talking about Germany all the time. <laughs> um, and I agree. We need to find our own uh, solutions. But um, I just don't want to say what's going wrong or where I think we can do better. But how could that look like? Yeah. In every society, you have four driving forces. Politicians, public service, um, the um, educational sector, universities, researchers, and the industry. Mm -hmm. And I would like to advocate um, that industry needs to take more charge um, and needs to be more self-responsible and more self-interest in transforming the economic environment for the better. Mm. Really interesting. So getting to industry, you've picked me up in the past, if I say the manufacturing sector. I did. Yeah. And you will if I say it again now. I would. Why? Because manufacturing is not a sector. What is it? A capability. So we talk a bit more about that. We have a lot of sectors in every economy. Space, defense, uh, pharmaceutical, medtech, agri and food. But in all of these verticals, in all of these sectors, something is being made, mm -hmm. being manufactured. Mm -hmm. So it intersects where everything is being put together, you manufacture. So to have a sectorial view of manufacturing would mean that we limit manufacturing as a sector amongst other sectors. Mm. And that has led to a lot of evil in Australia in the past. We look at the automotive as the manufacturing sector. And when we have stopped doing this utterly stupid thing of putting cars together, it's not manufacturing, it's like assembly, it's like Ikea and Lego. We did that for four or five foreign country companies, mm. including General Motors, we were even allowed to call it Holden, but that was a General Motor vehicle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we could pretend we manufacture that car. 
we just assembled it. And when we stopped doing that and stopped subsidizing that for um, a high amount of taxpayers' dollar, people thought and were told manufacturing is declining. Mm. The total opposite is the case even in automotive. We employ more automotive workers in the last four or five years than ever before. It has actually increased because these companies and these workers deliver automotive intermediate good, not finished good, intermediate goods into global value chains. Right. Instead of serving 25 million customers who buy 1 million cars a year, we deliver into global value chains with 7.5 billion customers. So there's something really important in the definition then, isn't there? It is. And uh, as I like to say, manufacturing in Australia is misunderstood, mm. mismeasured, mm. and consequently miscommunicated. For me, it's the most exciting opportunity for the country to go from lucky to smart. But if we don't know what it is, we don't measure it right, and then tell our kids the wrong thing, one must not wonder that we don't see the uplift this country could see. I love that saying that you have, that we could take Australia from lucky to smart. It's so powerful. So when you say manufacturing is misunderstood, what are the, what are the key misconceptions that those who haven't spent time with you or who aren't right there in the middle of that capability, what are our key misconceptions? I think we have to start a level higher. We're such a lucky country. We need to ask ourselves, why are we so lucky? We uh -huh. live in paradise. Yeah. Just imagine you and I in paradise, uh, Steph and Jens, and uh, we, uh, we, we eat from the uh, cherry tree because we are told not to take the apple. Yeah. And we sit there and are just happy. And then the snake comes along and says, hey, you need to make a cherry cake now. It's a bit more complex, but, you know, we have to do that. And we would probably say, why? It's yeah. so nice. Happy just with the sit here and cherry yeah. and, you know, yeah. maybe make a cherry schnapps. But we don't need to make, we don't need to add complexity to this commodity. Yeah. As long as we, we, we do what we do. And what we do is dig and ship and sell each other houses. Uh -huh. This is the wealth of the country. We are blessed with an abundance of natural resources. And that is the backbone of one of the many backbones of our wealth. Now, a lot of these commodities will not find a customer in the future. Nobody will buy coal from us. Yeah. And it should be the case anyway. Mm. But the same happens to iron ore. Yes, we have a lot of iron ore. But if we export it and don't add value to it onshore and or decarbonize it here, which is a massive opportunity for us if we did, because mm. it's called global warming, not Australian warming. Yeah. Um, if we do that and add value onshore, we go from digging and shipping to adding value. We go from lucky to smart. Mm. What's stopping us from doing that? Because we're sitting eating it's, the cherries and we're happy. It's just too easy. There are many things stopping us. Um, um, every successful country in a sense of an economic powerhouse, not by accident or luck, but mm. by choice, requires an industry policy. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm in this role for six and a half years and I'm on my 10th industry minister. Mm. So you will not get an industry policy from that, certainly not one will we stick to for 10, 15 years mm -hmm. and see come to fruition. Mm. So we need to have... It's a, a vision. It's, it's a have, policy, but it's a vision as well, isn't it? Yeah. Look, in Germany, you had a politician who said, if you have a vision, you need to go to the doctor. But, uh, <laughs> so, but if you at least have a plan... Yeah. and belief in that plan, mm. that would be a good start. So 
being pragmatic about what the world looks like and how politics shifts, what can you and your members do to create that plan? We have, in the last couple of years, been able to change the language and the thinking on manufacturing. Mm. When I started in the draw, my team and I were confronted with questions, why bother? We don't need it. Um, and now manufacturing matters. And COVID has helped mm. for the right and for the wrong reasons. But now we see manufacturing used as the word as an important capability, mm. not as a sector, throughout the language, in budget, in speeches. And that is good. That's a change for the better. That's a starting point. As far as the members of the Advanced Manufacturing Growth Centers are concerned, they are the change leader. They need to lead the charge. So those members closely affiliated with us who believe in our direction-setting research, being better, not cheaper, being globally competitive, we can never win on price in Australia. Mm. Um, and applying that research and are successful these are the transformative forces who multiply the message and demonstrate the message. Mm. So that's why we're working with manufacturing members very closely and measure what they do, measure the impact, see the job growth and see their competitive advantage evidenced um, by the outcomes and not only by the research we've done. Is there um, an example you can share? We are just um, released a the 2022 project report. If you Google AMGC and look for project report, you find it in our resource section. Um, in that project report, there are 141 examples of projects which demonstrate um, the research findings, which translates into the creation of uh, more than 4,000 new or better jobs and an additional um GDP impact of uh, north of $1.6 billion. So there's, you know, walking the talk. Can you tell me one? Um, the, um, the former chief scientist uh, uh, who, uh, who I sent um, this uh, report, um, he, he said, I read it from uh, cover to cover, mm. and he said, I was not aware um, of what diverse landscape of projects and mm. capability we have in manufacturing. So mm. it's very diverse. Um, it's not what you think manufacturing is. We mm. think about blocks and highways and hard hats um, and safety boots on the shop floor. This is less than half of the jobs and they're important, but there are many, many more jobs. So I still haven't answered your question. No, you haven't. Um, I'm wondering the, if you're going the, to. I'm, I'm about to because if you look back like 50, 60 years, what excited a lot of nations was space. We have a lot of space projects where we mm. manufacture components um, for for space, mm -hmm. um, including um, uh, hydrogen tanks, including a uh, propulsion system. Um, we have um, other projects in the uh, um, in, in medical technology, which are, are life changing uh, mm. for patients. Um, early um, uh, cancer detection um, devices uh, and and other. So it's it's really something. Very, very different what the broad public opinion mm. on manufacturing is. It's really different. And and so when you were talking, how many jobs did you say that that report? The 141 projects involve more than 
141 companies are usually yeah. a couple of companies and yeah. every project has a research partner yeah. because coming back to universities, universities are great in early research in Australia, yes. way above punching water weight and then we wonder why it doesn't commercialize. Yeah. So this is why we say, well, we, we need always in our project a research partner uh -huh. resolving an industry problem, not the other way around. Mm. So we kind of take them on the ride for commercialization and deliver research excellence for a demand from a manufacturer who has a problem to solve. Mm. Mm. And so then, as you were saying, that resulted in significant jobs, you could see, from each of those projects recognized. In higher paying jobs, in more resilient jobs, yeah. in globally competitive jobs. Yeah, yeah. What are the kinds of problems that these manufacturing organisations had to solve? It doesn't really matter. Um, it doesn't <laughs> I know, really but I want an example just so people can get a flavour of what you're talking about. Uh, give me an example um, in regard to ventilators. Um Three and a half years, three years ago, I didn't know what a ventilator was no. and many people didn't. And then yeah. COVID came around and that's why manufacturing is a capability, not a sector. Um, in a consortium, many of our members, um, uh, we were part of building um, ventilators onshore. Yeah. Um, we had over 30 manufacturers. None mm. of them has ever done ventilators before. Mm. Five months down the track, 1,700 certified ventilators mm. were manufactured, ready to go. Now, luckily, we didn't need them, mm. but we were able to apply manufacturing capability to mm. resolve a very, very urgent problem. So that is what manufacturing capability is all about. It doesn't really matter whether you have done bicycles before mm. or um, 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 automotive components mm, or medical components. As long as you're capable, you can resolve the problem. And I think it's really interesting that back to what you say, Jens, about a sector or not, because people could say, well, that's the health sector. That it was is. ventilators. That was the health sector. But it was actually the application of manufacturing capability to deal with a health crisis or a health problem. And this is why I concede that measuring manufacturing is difficult because mm. it intersects as a capability horizontally mm. with the verticals of every sector where something is being made. Mm. So making a vaccine, is that a manufacturing job? Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, is it a, a, a job in the health sector? Yes, it is. Yeah, and that relates then to the smiley curve, doesn't it, that you talk about in manufacturing? That is right. You're referring to the smiley curve as the seven steps of manufacturing, mm -hmm. production being only one of them. Yeah. And the seven steps are research and development, yeah. design, logistic, production, distribution, sales, and services. In every three steps before production, every three steps after the production, mm. they are usually the higher value um, and higher paying and more competitive jobs. And Australia is good at a number of those those jobs in the smiley curve. We're we? good in all of them. Yeah. As long as we are focused, we not if we try everything, we achieve nothing. So we should focus on areas of given strength uh -huh. or strengths we have chosen we want to be good at. Mm. If we do everything, um, we will not be able to do that, neither the one nor the other. So given strength are um, our commodities, but mm. adding value onshore to it, which is called manufacturing, creates a multiple of the value compared to the extracted commodity. And um, if we, for example, concentrate a commodity, the weight reduction is can be hundredfold. So mm. why would we 
have unprocessed commodities being shipped around the world mm. and then processed somewhere else. Why don't we do this here? Saves us carbon and uh, uh, makes us a matzah. So I wasn't sure where you were going with us in paradise with the cherry tree, but I, but I get what you're saying. It would be easy for Australia if we had unlimited resources that people, unlimited markets for those resources to rely on that forever. And what you're creating today, Jens, is a compelling picture of how by adding complexity before and after that process of digging that commodity out of the ground, we can create more jobs, create, have significant impact on our GDP and ultimately take this country, as you say, from lucky to smart. I think it's the beginning of a very important conversation, um, interestingly provocative along the way there as well. And I, I suggest people really think deeply about this in their own um, in in their own context and in the broader context for our economy. So that was a really good conversation. I think it was a good start. But Jens Gernerman, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for lending me your ear. So that's Tech Live for today. CEOs are in the business of making decisions and leadership is the art of execution. I'm Stephanie Christopher and look forward to talking to you next time. Music